Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you here. I am uh, blessed to be up here and be able to greet you in the name of the church. And it's good to see so many people who are both here regularly and also visiting this week. So, Merry Christmas. We're about to begin a time of celebration that is a part of the church calendar. It's really something we do all year long. I'm not Pastor Luke Hershey. My name is David Thies. I'm one of the elders of the church. And as we uh, thought about how we would approach the Advent season, we decided that we would share the preaching duties a bit. So Scott and I will have the privilege over the next few weeks of also sharing in preaching responsibilities. Uh, as we consider a theme, uh, which is the promised child. So what's Advent all about? We are celebrating an event, the event of God's incarnation, God coming into the world. but we have the opportunity also to look at that event from a couple of different perspectives. Certainly, as you're sitting there and as I'm standing here, we can look at the event of God's incarnation, Christmas, from our point of view, looking back on something that has happened. How do we uh, let that event inform our lives? How does it affect how we live? But we can also look prior to the event, back to the day that God actually predicted and told us and promised us what he would do. And so in this Advent time, we'll be looking at some of those times prior to the event of Christmas, God coming into the world, when he actually told us what he was going to do. So the theme of the month will be the promised child. Now the earlier reading that we uh, had from uh, Molly, from the uh, Gospel of Luke, we had what we many times traditionally look at as the beginning of the Christmas story story of, of uh, Mary and the angel coming to her and uh, the uh, people who went before her, the people who she would have talked to at that time. We see the beginning of a time that's supernatural. It's the incarnation of God coming into this world. It's exciting time that leads up to the story of the birth of the baby in Bethlehem. But the Christmas story really starts much earlier than that, um, much before the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And from the perspective of God's eternity, you can expect that it would begin at the beginning. And so that's what we'll look at today. But before we do that, before I read our text for today, would you bow with me in prayer and let's ask God to guide us through this process. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you have... Um, determined to reveal yourself to us, not just to cause things to happen, but to explain them, to predict them, and then to talk to us about how we should be living our lives in light of those events. So would you guide us now as we consider the passage from Genesis that begins this story. Uh, bless me as I speak. Let my words be your words. Pray that everyone listening to them would hear you that you would then cause application to take place as we consider how we should be living in light of all that you promised and then did. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as I said, we begin at the beginning, which was God's plan for how we were to relate to him. And his plan, of course, was one of intimate relationship. But it was a plan that we destroyed because sin came into this world and sin reflected separation from God and that plan of perfect coexistence with God. And as, the, as we fell away and as sin came into the world, 
there were consequences. And that's what Genesis uh, chapter 3 talks about. I'll be reading first uh, verses 8 through 15 uh, as we see the story of the fall and what happened immediately after the fall. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Of course, the man and woman had eaten of that tree. Well, the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Deflect the blame. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now in those words, God both recognizes the sin, but also promises to solve the problem of sin. He promises a victory over the serpent, which to us means victory over death and an eternity with God as God originally intended it. We win, we are victorious. And so as we consider in this theme of Advent, the promised child, we look at the fact that the promise of the child means for us the promise of victory. So here's the question to be thinking about. What does living like a victorious person look like in your life? When I ask that question, uh, there's certainly a simple answer that is in common to all of God's children, that living as a victorious person means I'm saved. I'm headed towards an eternity with God. But if we peel back the onion a bit, we find that the answer to the question, what does living like a victorious person look like in your life, is very unique to you and to me. Because we each are different people and we each have sin in our lives, but we each have different needs, different successes, failures, stresses, problems, challenges, each of which offer the opportunity to live as a victorious person or as a failed person. So I ask again, what does living as a victorious person look like in your life? The promise of Advent is that we really can live as if we have won the battle. And the problem with us is that we have a hard time doing that. Now there are a lot of reasons, I think, why we don't always find it very easy to live as victorious people. The first is a realization that I'm guilty, that I put Jesus on the cross. I self-criticize 
and I go looking for my failures, and I discover that it's really my fault. Now that's a truth we have to acknowledge. But remember my question is, how do you now live knowing that that problem that I've created or that you've created has been solved, at least from the point of view of eternity? This was something that was faced in the garden. We see beginning right at the uh, outset of the passage that I read, um, and, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And in those words we find Adam's own self-criticism and feeling of guilt. Adam knew that he had done wrong. So in the same way God says to me, or to you, he says to me, David, um, I notice that you're living as if you are a guilty person. What exactly did you do? Where are you? Why is it that you're ashamed of, to analogize to this passage, your nakedness? And I self-criticize and I feel guilty and I'm depressed. Second reason we live as if uh, we're, we're not victorious is that there is really evil in the world that is affecting us. Satan is a true being. And that evil we confront from day to day. And we interact with people who are influenced by evil. Because in fact we learn in this very passage that the world is made up of descendants both of the serpent on the one hand and descendants from the woman on the other. And that those two worlds are in conflict all of the time, at least in the world as we know it today. So there's evil in the world, and we see that in this passage, starting at verse 11. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And there's the external source of the problem. Satan, the serpent, he deceived and the, and, the, and the man and the woman ate. And this evil is real and so in our lives we can do the same uh, we did earlier. We can ask our, our, ourselves, how is it that the way I'm living my life is influenced by the evil that is in the world? Even though we know that a victory has been won over that evil. Well, to go on trying to understand why it is we find it hard to live as victorious people, we can consider the following also. In a worldly sense, the fact is we don't win all the time. We know that. We're skeptical. I think I won today, but I'm not sure what might happen tomorrow. At least having won an earthly victory, it can't last. And on this point, I just can't miss the opportunity to provide the illustration of what it is like to be a Cub fan. <laughs> Where you might say that we've won a victory. In fact, it's a pretty significant victory, the first in 108 years. But if you're a true Cub fan, and I am one, 
immediately after we won the World Series, maybe enjoying it for 30 seconds or so, we started saying to ourselves, is this going to last? Is this going to last? And we started evaluating the pitching for next year, and uh, well, that contract may not get worked out, and on and on and on. So, so even as I know what it means to live as a victorious person, and for that brief moment, I got to say, when that last out came in the 11th inning or whatever it was, uh, I did experience somewhat of a feeling of victory, but immediately started uh, doubting it. So that's another reason why we find it hard. The victory that God has won for us is not one that necessarily takes the evil out of our lives or the world. It's not a victory that changes the sinful nature that we have. And it's one for which we must be patient because we still live in this world, even knowing that the victory has been won, we experience all of these problems and we know that the victory is one that will cause us to have an eternity with God that goes beyond our physical deaths. But that's not always the easiest thing to enjoy as we wake up one morning and face the depression or the sadness or the failure or the kinds of things that you run into in this world. But the good news is that although earthly winning is fleeting and quickly looked at by us as a product of our own effort, in that, in realization, we find the blessing of knowing that the promise of Advent is the promise of a victory so complete and so permanent that it can't be based on anything that we do ourselves. At first, that's kind of a disappointment if you're honest with yourself. When I realize that the victory that we've won has nothing to do with anything that I did or could do or said, it's disappointing because I kind of like to think that the victories that I enjoy are because of my effort. That's a very human kind of a kind of a emotion to feel. It's especially true in Western culture and in our country because that's what we're taught is that the victories we achieve are, uh, can be anything if we work hard enough, if we just can be the people that we need to be in order to achieve the victory. But in the victory that I'm talking about here, it really doesn't depend upon anything that I do or say. Nothing depends upon me. So the quality of the promised victory in Genesis 3 is of a special kind of a nature that allows us to then live as if we've been saved, as if we've won. Now let's look at what the theology is of this text, where we read God telling us what he's going to do about the problem that we've caused, starting at verse 14. The Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, because the serpent had deceived Eve. Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. So he's punishing the source of the evil, punishing the serpent. He goes on and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, enmity meaning hostility or angst or conflict, and between your offspring and her offspring woman's offspring, meaning mankind, um, the offspring of the serpent, meaning, um, or offspring of, of woman, meaning, meaning Jesus, and the offspring of the serpent, meaning the, uh, the evil that was in the world. It says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise your heel, meaning that Jesus is going to bruise Satan, 
mean, uh, which is what happens at the cross when he overcomes death and, and pays the price that we owed. And Satan bruised Jesus, meaning this is what it's going to take. Evil is going to hurt Jesus. But in that whole process that he's promised, we think that the scripture there is predicting what would happen to this Christ child who would be born in Bethlehem. And because of what's predicted here, we can live as victorious people. This is a, pro a prediction of what Jesus would do on the cross, a victory won by God that can be claimed by me if I'm one of God's children. So, what does that have to do with Advent, this time that we're about to enter? Well, consider again, how can I live my life during Advent or throughout the rest of the world, or the year, sorry, how can I live my life knowing that this predicted event has actually taken place? Consider a couple of things. First of all, this victory that was won by God at the cross is bigger and better than anything we ever experience in an earthly way. Secondly, the victory is over the biggest and baddest problem we have, death and sin and separation from God. But beyond that, the victory is more. It's a victory over the things that we face when we wake up in the morning and don't find it very easy to be living as if we've won something. It's a victory over the difficulties of my world and my life, my relationships. So although we might sit here and intellectually or theologically understand what this victory is, God's telling us this month in this season of Advent that this will affect, this will inform how you live your life every day. It's also my victory, not just God's victory. Because in what Jesus did on the cross, I can claim to have conquered the problem that I caused. The sin in my life that caused the problem has been solved, but not by what I've done, by what Jesus has done. So you're thinking about what this looks like in your life. I'll ask you again, how do you want the victory that you've won to look in your life? I know it's hard. The promise that was made in Genesis 3 was thousands of years ago. The cross was maybe 2,000 years ago about. And the earthly life you and I are living now, it sometimes doesn't feel very victorious out there. We have to wait and be patient to get that feeling. Patience is in fact a virtue, but the fact that we wait doesn't mean that the victory hasn't been won already. Yes, sin is still in the world, mine and yours. Think of ways that you're living under that curse as there are still consequences for our sin that we experience. And we live in a world that contains those who are descended from the woman and those who are descended from the serpent. A cosmic battle is going on and we're part of it. As, and we have to live in the midst of that in this, in this world. It's hard to endure. But in fact, the promise of Advent is, among other things, the promise of victory. And that means that we can live as victorious and saved people. Now here's the problem. We don't do it. That's what we've been talking about all morning. And I want to just briefly mention how this ties into the series that Pastor Luke's been doing on Paul's letter to the Galatians, where Paul is writing and essentially asking the same question of the people who were reading his letter. The text in Galatians is focused more on the law, gospel, law, grace, 
dichotomy. Does God judge us, Paul asks rhetorically, by evaluating the quality of our works, or does he save us by giving us a belief in who he is and what he has done, and, and by virtue of that faith, save us? And of course, we know the answer if we've been listening to Galatians. We, don't, we aren't saved by virtue of what we've done. Paul's pretty direct with the Galatians, uh, just to read a few lines from one of the texts that Pastor Luke, I think, pre preached on last week. From chapter 3, Paul says, Are you so foolish? Have, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. You see, in that letter, Paul is talking maybe entirely, but at least mainly, to saved people. Saved people who understood that the victory had been won, and yet, because of some distorted view of what it took to live the good, Christian, upright life, they were living as if it's, they were still required to abide by the law. Now, as Pastor Lucas said, there's nothing wrong with abiding by the law. The law is a good thing. That's the way we should be living. But the point is, that's not what our motivation should be as we choose how to react and live in light of the victory that has been won for us. So we're being asked the same question as we enter this time of Advent as the people of Galatia were being asked. Why would you ever want to live as if your quality of life depended upon your works, especially as you know that the victory has already been won. So imagine, knowing that God has won this victory for you and living as if the life God wants us to be living depends upon us obeying God's law, that's a bad picture. We not only can know that we're victorious, we can live as if we've won the victory. So at Christmas time and during Advent leading up to December 25th, it's okay to let the victory inform your disposition, your personality, and your interaction with others. Back to the passage from Dr. Luke's Gospel. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So as you might be today even, lonely or frightened or depressed or sad, God's victory that he promises in Genesis is the antidote. And it's not just an intellectual, academic kind of a thought that you have as you recognize that you've been saved. It's actually how you can live your life. And one other thought, even as we come to grips with this, it certainly is true that there are many out there, other people, who don't seem so victorious to us. People who've lost loved ones, or are going through hard financial times, or health issues, or who have an uncertain future. All of these things can impact us, but to someone out there who's really feeling it, 
They may be the ones that God wants you to go talk to this, this Advent season to remind them of the victory that's been won. And all of us can rejoice in the knowledge that our ultimate difficulty, one that cannot be overcome by our own effort, has been dealt with as the seed of the woman bruised the head of the serpent and conquered death for us all for all time. Let's pray. Gracious God, cause us to live as victorious people. You promised a son, a baby, and that that son would do battle for us. And we can claim that for ourselves as we are your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.